welcome to episode two of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and the other bloke, Jason Roberts. From Pasadena, California. <laughs> Hello, Jason. <laughs> Hello, Justin. Hello. What? Let's do this thing. Yeah, okay. So the, the one thing I was going to say is um, if anyone listening to this wants to comment, comment on anything we're talking about, uh, they can go to trim forward slash texting two. So that's tr.im forward slash texting two. And that's just going to get them straight into this episode uh, where we've posted it on the blog. So you can add comments there. So did you did you see the uh, the Project Natal thing that I sent through? I didn't get a chance to take a look at it. I saw some headlines about it. What is it? Basically, it's a new project um, on, on the Xbox 360. And the guts of the project is they're talking about uh, game interaction without any kind of controller. So okay. it's got um, – there, there's a camera on top of the TV or maybe multiple cameras. I'm not sure. But but the camera sort of looks out at you and scans your – you know what your body's doing, basically, right. and and makes it so that you can interact with the screen. And they they've, I mean, if you look at the demo, which we'll put in the show notes, it's you know it's incredibly advanced. So it's kind of like a uh, the Wii, except you don't have to have a controller. It's just you can you're playing like a sports game or something like tennis or yeah, boxing or something. You don't even have to be holding anything. Yeah, I think I think yeah, that's in one sense that's a crude way of putting it because it's it's a lot more than the Wii because. You literally interact with the world inside the computer. Like um, they were, they were showing some examples. Um, they have a character called Milo, and they were showing um, someone interacting with Milo. And this is technology that exists. And one of the one of the ways that they were interacting was, for example, the person uh, went to the screen, and in the screen was, um, let's say, a, a pool of water. Okay. And because the camera can scan the person, the person's reflection was in the pool of water. And they, That's right. <laughs> wow. And they could like move their hands and move the water around, and it was changing their reflection. That's amazing. Well, you know, it's interesting because what I was going to ask about it is, well, how do you deal with like say force feedback, right? What's force um, feedback? Well, you know, you have like a, a controller, and if if there's some sort of like rumbling, like like say you're in a car or something, or if you get hit, maybe you feel some kind of impact through the uh, controller. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not a big video gamer, so I don't, I don't even know what the state of the art is nowadays with, uh, with gaming uh, controllers and consoles. But I, I do remember a little bit about that. I mean, I think I remember when I was a kid, and you'd go to the arcade and you'd ride in like one of the, you'd, you'd do one of those video games. It was like a driving, like a race car video game, and it would kind of rumble a little bit. I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah. So those I'm just wondering. Cool. Yeah. So I'm just wondering if you're like playing a video game. Uh, in this natal uh, environment or platform, and you say it's a martial arts one, right? You're like fighting some monster or some opponent. I mean, you know, how do you how do you feel like an impact, or how do you feel any any sort of? I don't know. They they I mean, they gave um, on the YouTube clip. Uh, basically, they gave lots of different uh, examples of interacting with this thing, and none of them had any sort of user feedback like that. But they did have stuff like you know, uh, skateboarding and fighting and dancing and and singing and all that sort of yeah. stuff. But they all, what was also well, I guess interesting some was... Of it, I, I guess some of it would work better, you know, some yeah. of it, like the force feedback, unless you had some kind of like suit on or vest, like maybe a force feedback vest or for, force feedback gloves or something. You do you have do that. that with the Wii? I, I mean, basically force feedback. I don't know. You know, like I said, I don't even play video games, so I'm not, I'm not an expert on that, so okay. I really wouldn't know. So we, you know what we need to do? We need to get a guest on who like totally knows um, video games who could talk yeah. to us about the Natal thing. Yeah, there's. I know. I know some people like that. I'm just not one of them. I, I've never really. I, you know, it's strange because a lot of my pro friends play video games and different things like that. And I don't know. I you know I I played some video games back in you know, on the '90s. I used to play Doom and and um, <laughs> what was it? like everybody right? It's Did like you say Doom or or Doom? Doom, Doom. Like I loved Quake. Doom. That was the last time I played a bloody video game <laughs> before yeah, Command so I, and Conquer. In Command and Conquer. But the problem with those games was that I, I, they just sucked the time away. Like I just they lost do, yeah. productivity. They're just so much time. You'd, you'd play and you'd just start playing all day. You'd start the day off and you're like, hey, let's just you know play a game real quick. And like, oh, it's a rematch. And it's like, oh, one more. And then it's like, oh, we're going to lunch anyway in a minute. So then you go to lunch and then you come back and you're like, all right, just one more. And next thing the whole day is over and you're like, I it's can't. It's just so addictive to build your points up. And like, that's what was amazing about Command and Conquer in June. You could just, you know, you literally started from nothing and you built 
your cement blocks, and then you built on top of that, and then you got your soldiers, and then you commanded them. It was well, wicked. Yeah, they're like two-hour games, and then you'd get pissed off when you lost. I mean, we would play, and then you'd get pissed off if you lost. You won a rematch, right? And yeah. then you'd argue about, you know, who won and why, and you'd and you'd and I remember just days would go by, and uh, yeah, and so I'm very I'm very hesitant to get involved in video games because they're just it's like. It, they're addictive. It's like a drug or something. Let me just tell you some other stuff about this Project Natal that, that I thought was so cool. Another thing was they, the character that's called Milo. Basically, he's he's this little boy who's sort of interacting with you, which sounds a bit strange to say. Right. <laughs> but but, <laughs> but he's in the game, and he asks he asks you to help him with his homework. So what okay. you do is you write the answer on a card, and then you sort of give the card to the camera. And as the card touches the camera, he reaches up and pulls the card back and takes it into the screen. That's pretty cool. So it's like you're, in, you know, you're interacting with that, and he, right. he sort of throws stuff to you. And because you sort of feel like you're, you know, it's such a realistic interaction experience. Um, as they explained in the video, they were saying that, you know, anyone who tries this tries to catch the stuff that he throws to you, even though it's not real and he's not actually throwing anything to you. Right, right. Yeah, that's kind of interesting. So, what was in the article? Were they talking about? Do they have like people theorizing about like what the? No, there was. It was just a. Uh, it was like a show reel from um, Xbox 360, and then there was also another one that was Steven Spielberg talking about it, and just yeah. saying, you know, how excited he is to start making games using this technology. It's what. It's what. He, basically, he was saying that the big stumbling block of video games, and the reason why you know 60% of people don't even have a console is because it's so difficult to get the input you know like people just don't want to play with the controller right you know, he was saying that if, if you could get rid of the whole controller paradigm and just make it so that anyone could just interact just by being a human being well then like okay so let's say you're playing a first person shooter i mean what are you doing with your hands i mean you need to be holding something right it'd be kind of strange to be kind of like shadow shooting you know, like shadow boxing well or... i mean that's exactly that's exactly what they're saying i mean they're even saying that the camera can pick up the movements of multiple people, so you can have a multiple-player game. Huh. You know, so it's like, it's like when you're playing Cowboys and Indians, you're the cowboy, and you like, you know, bang, you're dead, you're using your finger, and they're like, in the game, it's like you're holding a gun or something? Yeah, I think so. Very strange. <laughs> well, that's what it was like with driving. You know, they just had people there with a, just sort of holding their hands in the air driving. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Very strange. Okay. All right, next. What we got? What else we got? Um... Okay, you're gonna hate me. All right. I had a, I had another. Uh, Wait, this isn't gonna be a Twitter conversation. Yeah, ju no, just quickly, just something yeah, very yeah. small. Why don't we just rename the show Twitter? You know, Tech Twitter or Twitter Zing. I just no, just one thing, just <laughs> oh, one yeah. thing. Well, okay, this is the Twitter segment. <laughs> okay, just one thing. All right. I think that Twitter is perfect for famous people. Okay. Be because Twitter uh, is the, the, the is the metaphor of Twitter is the same as a famous person's life. In the sense that a famous person just, you know, they'll, they'll be in front of a crowd and they'll just say a few things to a few different people. Everybody listens and responds. and Yeah, but it's just like, you know, a few snips here, a few snips there. Oh, hi, how are you doing? Yeah, yeah, thanks for coming to the show. Hey, cool. Right. You know? Yeah, you know, maybe that's one of the appeals to it is everybody gets to feel a little famous without having the pressure of having to write an essay on a blog or something or having to commentate on a story. They don't have to say anything. They don't have, they don't have to say anything thoughtful or... Act, or actually do any work, they can just say something and like, you know, 100 or 1,000 or 10,000 people can... But it's the same, I mean, for example, famous people, you know, like Ashton Kutcher or Britney Spears, I mean, they can have right. a million followers and they don't need to get too stressed about it because the interactions can just be that kind of, hey, how you doing? Yeah. Glad you yeah, came. Yeah, right. Well... You know? And the people that they talk to, oh, Britney answered me, it's so exciting. <laughs> yeah, that's... <laughs> Well, yeah, I guess so. You know, in fact, actually, I just changed my Twitter handle because I created a Twitter handle yeah. and sent one tweet. And I was, um, I was actually just sort of chatting with a um, a, a guy, no doubt. He lives in Australia. He's like a he's another fellow tech entrepreneur, and and he's like, "Well, what's your Twitter handle?" And I said, "Oh, it's you know Jason R11." He's like, "That's really bad." I said, "Yeah." I thought I so. I was thinking Jason R11. <laughs> That's really <laughs> bad. I said, "Well, that was like you know, okay." So I changed it to Exo Jason, E X O Jason, like as an outer Jason. Okay, whatever. can you hear that? All all two people who are listening to the show follow Exo Jason. Yeah, well, see, here's the thing. I need. I decided I finally needed to get a domain name, like just to put up like whatever I want on it, like code or something. And I've never got around to it. And part of the reason I never did it is because I could never find a domain name that I liked that, that just didn't suck. And so I said, all right, exojason.com. I got that. And I said, all right, maybe it's not the greatest name in the world, but it's short. 
you can say it, and it's done. Well, you're lucky that Exo Jason doesn't suck. Yeah, well, it, it might suck, but <laughs> whatever. I gotta, t- I gotta pick something eventually. I mean, I can't just stay offline for. Does the it? Five does years. it mean anything? I mean, do you have an exoskeleton? Or? Oh, I, no, no. Just like you know, the the outer you, right? It's okay. the part you that's that's displayed to the world. You know. Oh, okay. I see. This <laughs> you is there, t- you really thought about this? I did. I, you know, I was taking a shower the other day, and I said, "Exo Jason." Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> I'm sure if I told it to my wife, she'd just roll her eyes and go, give me a break. But uh, <laughs> as she does with half the things I say to her. So I don't know. You got to eventually just got to pull the trigger and pick something. I mean, I wasn't lucky enough to get, you know, I think you have what your your actual name. Yeah. See, see, that sucks. I mean, and a lot of people I know actually have their name dot com. their total handle. And, you know, I don't know. I mean, Jason Roberts is not exactly the most unique name in the world. And so well, I thought that Justin action. Vincent was was a unique name until I put it into Wolf Ram, Wolf Ram Alpha. And there's what like I don't know. It's like something like forty percent of children born between a certain year are called Justin Vincent <laughs> or something. No, just it was Justin, not Justin Vincent. But, yeah, right. Well, Justin Vincent is yeah, just happy. Justin Vincent. Well, but it was Justin. Yeah, like it was just a absolutely popular name. Right. And, you know, I guess it must have been after Justin Timberlake came to power. Right. So I guess now that I'm on Twitter and I have a Twitter handle, I'm going to have to tweet something. So I've got to figure out something to tweet. So, Well, um, just make sure, right, so give me, make sure give it's me interesting. Some, yeah, well, just give me something to tweet about. What do we, what do, what do we, what do we got? No idea. Uh, but I'll tell you what, I've got, I've got something else to talk about so we can move off Twitter. Um, okay. uh, I thought Joel's – I'm really getting into Stack Overflow podcasts. I don't know about the website because, you know, they hurt my feelings. But uh, – <laughs> <laughs> you're you're a little too sensitive. You yeah. have to work your way up there. Yeah, I think you got to be able to take a criticism. Well, I, I actually had a go at posting a question, uh, and the question I posted was, um, "What's the the most useful PHP function?" What's the most useful PHP function? That's yeah. like what's the best guess what work? happened? What? <laughs> Within about a minute, I got rated down minus one. <laughs> That's a terrible. That's like saying, "What's the best word in the English language?" I mean, That's what they said. That's what they said. They, they said, "Go and read the, the FAQ, you idiot." <laughs> <laughs> so I went and read the FAQ, and the first thing he says is, "Don't post a question that isn't about programming." Yeah, come on. Get, all right. I yeah. Well, know. the podcast is good, though. I like. I yeah. like. I think uh, Joel Spolsky and Jeff Atwood are both pretty sharp guys, and uh, they have. It's pretty good. I've been listening to it since. Pretty much episode one, I guess. Do you, do, you, do you remember the part where they were talking about um, uh, coders who think they know everything? And then Joel said, you, you know, you can write some code, but nothing can ever possibly work. Right. Now, I'm not sure. What, what did he say? They, like, they were just basically talking about how humble you should be as a programmer. Like, the older you get, the more you realize that you don't know anything. You yeah. Know? The more I you code, that, the, le- the less confident you are in, in code and, and your code. I think that's kind of true in general. You know, it's like the older you get, the realize the the more you realize that you might have a general understanding of a lot of things at a very superficial level, but you really don't know much. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, you know, it's it, that's why like it's like a little knowledge is a dangerous thing. It's like high school kids or teenagers think start thinking they know everything because they know a little bit and they don't realize they don't know enough to realize how little they actually know. Well, the worst is the worst is when you're working with a client and they know they know a little bit about code and they know just enough. To be dangerous and difficult. Oh, can't they just? Isn't that just an object? Can't you just reuse that? Exactly. Yeah, it's all object-oriented. You just reuse it, so you don't have to do any coding. It's just like, why don't you do it this way? And it's just yeah, I don't know if it wasn't quite work that way. I I get that a lot. It's all just objects, right? So you can just just yeah, theoretically they read. Actually, I had I had a a, let's say um, a debate with a client the other day because we what what we were talking about was doing an element on a website where you click on the text. And it turns the text instantly into a text area and you can edit it, right? Okay. Now, that's sort of easy to do with JavaScript and with jQuery or whatever. But then what, what, what he wanted was he wanted the same thing, but he wanted it in line so that it was in a sentence. And so okay. the different words of the sentence could be drop downs and it could wrap around multiple lines. And it was, you know, let's say it got to the point of an argument almost ensued explaining why it was difficult to do it in line you know, to, to, to deal with the pixels and the positioning versus to just do it on a block element. Right, because, well, if it's, a, if it's a span or a div or an element like that, then you can just, you can, you know, there's, it's easy to find the position, the absolute position, and then just kind of put a text box over that at that absolute position. But for an actual text, like a character, if it's not wrapped in a span, it could be 
very difficult. Well, I would have thought it would be quite difficult to do for a span as well, because no, you don't. No, but, it's, but you don't know how wide a span's going to be. I mean, if, if it's if it's completely dynamic, and you need to, um, let's say it's completely dynamic, and you need to put a drop down, so it's a fixed size drop down that's going to come up, um, okay. but you want the text to push out accordingly. To the what same do you mean size. the text to push out accordingly? So when you click, so basically. Uh, well, what I mean is, let's say the word let's say the word is and, but in your drop down you've got like some very some very long words, and you okay. don't exactly know where where the words are going to flow because you've got lots of other other dynamic stuff behind it and in front of it. So if if you've dynamically created some words and then it moves it along and do you know what I'm saying? I mean, do do you know? I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it is really easy to do it inline. Let's say it's a sentence, okay, yeah. and there's a name in the sentence. No, a, ra a, rap a wrapping sentence. So think of a sentence with like four lines long, and any, right. okay. any word right. in the sentence can arbitrarily be a drop-down where you can change something. Right, so like, so like one word in the sentence is a name, and you click on it, and it makes a drop-down with other names, let's say. Other names, or other, which, which can be very long or very short. Right, so that the drop-down itself expands to the width of the content. Of the it, name, it, whatever the longest name is. Exactly, like and, and it works in every browser, and it yeah. works it works under every every sort of inline scenario of, of text. Right. Well, you can, for if you know what that word is. See, the problem is you have to figure out like what the word is, which means if you click on an element, say somewhere like a, a, a text, you would need to do. You could probably do a walkthrough with like a, um, the I forget the term for the text elements. And then you could, you know, find the spacing around it. And then what you could do is say, okay, whatever those words are, then I'm going to copy those characters and whatever applicable styles they are, maybe copy them into a hidden span, find the width of that span, and uh, then you could put a. Um, a well, the the uh, point I, I mean, the point I was making wasn't that um, I've actually forgotten how we got into, into this. But the point I was making wasn't that it couldn't be done. It was just that okay. it was exponentially harder than doing it with just a standard paragraph. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, yeah, like I was trying to describe. I mean, it's going to be a multi-step process to figure out how wide your drop-down is going to be, and but it's doable. Yeah, because because it, basically the, the the discussion was about the fact that I said, oh, this is going to be really easy. Yeah, we can do that. Right. But this is going to be much harder, and it's going to be exponentially take more time and more effort to make it work in all the browsers. And versus... he wouldn't accept that. No, no. I mean, he he would accept it, but it was just it was just uh, you know, a, a discussion ensued. Sure. <laughs> because yeah. he was, because he was like, well, yeah, but if you can do that, let me, you know, he said, why can't you just, you know, imagine then you could just move that box onto that line. So why can't the box be on the line? <laughs> and then yeah. I had to sort of explain about the difference between an inline element and a block element. Right. Well, you know, it's, um, and I think as developers sometimes too, like we just think, oh, that can't be done. And then later you think, yeah, I'll probably do that. <laughs> Yeah, that is true. <laughs> have you ever have you ever thought that something was going to take you two days, and then you sat down and had a go at it, and it took you about half an hour? Yes, and the that reverse. Is very too. strange. Yeah, I'm and the know. reverse. Oh, that'll take me half hour, and then you're like, oh god, this is a nightmare. What what was I thinking? <laughs> this is a big deal. So now I've learned talking about you know the more you the older you get, the more you sort of less more humble you begin. It's like you become is. So I become very hesitant sometimes to say, oh, this is only going to take me X hours. I'm like, ah, unless it's really clear what it is. Sometimes it's just things have these sort of hidden problems. I think know? that so when I'm estimating, I mean, I think that typically if I, if I come up with an estimate, you can times it, you know, you can add at least the same again. <laughs> yeah, that's because that <laughs> I always think, you know, oh, no, I'm brilliant. I can do that in 10 minutes. Yeah, that's why I don't like putting estimates in. I just say, look, this is just rough, you know. Was yeah. rough. Keep you appraised of how the progress is going, but this is a rough estimate. I don't want to get too specific. Well, how do you deal with that in terms of pricing? I mean, when you're pricing for clients, I tell them, I say, look, you know, I just bill, you know, X dollars an hour. Um, we'll, you know, come up with some real sort of general estimates of what might happen, and, and you know, we try and keep short milestones. It's not like, oh, this is a three-month project. It's like let's just get a general outline of the things you want. Let's, what's the first step that we're going to get to in like a, a week or two? shoot for a week or two and then I will keep them appraised on a you know every few days how things are going and I'll just say well, I think we can I think we can do this and I just you know I say well this is how many hours it's taken me to get here and and that way I say look you know I cuz if things go offline right like if I keep them appraised of what's going on and I show them what I have and they see progress is being made and they and they and they like what's going on yeah 
everything's good. Now, if things get off the rails and they're like, well, that wasn't what I'm talking about, worst case, you know, it, it's not that bad, you know, for either of us. But yeah. it, it could become a nightmare if you underestimate, you know, what it is. And if you try and, like, pad it, then they might just like and go, wow, that's just way too expensive. And I just find that, you know, putting these sort of fixed bid things in, I know, I know, I know. Fixed bids are so scary. When I, when I move, moved over to America nine months ago, I did I did a fixed bid and I I basically put in on on Elance for uh, $3000. Yeah. And basically I should have bid 10000 because that's the realistic amount of work that I did. But you sure. know what out of principle I finished it. But the, I mean yeah. the other thing is is that it 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 set up an, um some networking for me, you know, and that guy really liked the work that I did and sort of introduced me to someone else that turned into right. a 6 month contract. So, you know, sometimes you have to cut your losses, they can bring other stuff to you. Yeah, that's happened to me too. I bid, I think, ten thousand for a project, and it probably shouldn't have been about a thirty thousand dollar project or forty thousand dollar project. It was wow. a nightmare. It's one of my first is my only fixed bid project that I had really done. Because after that, it was it just was such a disaster. I said after that, I'm not. I, I don't think I'd do fixed bid again, especially when you're you know if you're on Elance and you're competing with uh, people from India and and Russia. You know, their cost of living is obviously so much cheaper, and that you know, there are all those other fixed bids. I don't know. It's it's a tough. It's you a can't tough really one. compete. You can't really compete at at that. And but I've found that you know, most of the everybody that I've known, and I've probably talked to at least a dozen people who've attempted to outsource. It is essentially never worked for anything more complicated than than a really simple simple design or something. Just work on sort of one small unit of stuff. Yeah, but I you think, try and outsource yeah. this stuff. It just doesn't work. And, and um, you know, we could come up with a lot of reasons why that is. I can just tell you, you know, and maybe other people have had different experiences, but maybe the dozen or so people that I've known who've had startups or businesses and they said, oh, we tried to outsource it to, you know, China or India or you know, Argentina or Russia. And it just doesn't work. I don't know. I don't know if it's a communication thing. I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, I, I Actually, I know an instance of someone who's, who's outsourced and been outsourcing for a year and a half and it's mm -hmm. really worked for them. And what they've done is they have outsourced project management. So they first of all found a project manager who had credentials of working with open source, right. sorry, with outsource people. And right. so, so they, pay, they, you know, constant, uh, constantly pay that project manager, you know, uh, a monthly salary or whatever, who they outsourced right. and they manage all the stuff because it's all about the communication process. So if that project manager really knows what you want, then it's up to them to impart and get across to these other people what you want and get it back to you. Right. So it's like uh, it's 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 the process of it that that requires extra work. Yeah, you know, I've, I well, that that probably helps mitigate the risk. I mean, I I've, I've a friend of mine who they outsourced some stuff to India, and he was actually um, I think it was his brother-in-law uh, was the one who was his company, and it was still didn't work out very well. And the reason it didn't work out is um, I think partially communication, partially is the understanding of the of the business. You know, when people are, aren't. In, in, in direct contact and have, uh, contact and have very good communication with the sponsors of the project with, and, and understand the business, it can be really hard to deliver um, what it is they want, I, I think. I, I, think there's, I think there's an element of that that goes into it. And, uh, so this is interesting because so we both have different, different viewpoints and experiences about this. I mean, um, you know, Kevin Rose outsourced Dig. <laughs> That's how well, he Dick was involved got built. I mean, you know, if you see the interview with that guy who built it, I mean, yeah. you know, he was on the phone with him and had to do it. But the guy, the, the, the guy who built it was from Canada. You know, he wasn't, he, he spoke, English was his native language. I mean, he was very involved with it. I mean, he was giving Kevin feedback on like, this is a dumb feature. This is a good feature. This would be easy. This hard. I mean, it was like, it was fine. It's not that you can't have other, it's not like, not that you have to have someone sitting next to you, but having somebody who's not a native English speaker who isn't part of the culture in which you're gonna this mark this product is gonna be sold or be used, who isn't really in close contact with the person who who's sponsoring the project, those are all things that make it. So not your work issue out. is your your issue with it is that they're not native speakers, they're not part of the culture. Which I think I think, I think is fair enough. I think that works against you. I think it works against you very much. I mean, if, and you know, it's it's all about sort of having. I mean, even people who are sort of not maybe um, really paying attention to what the latest design tastes are and the user interface, to, uh, um, where the interface, what the latest and most innovative user interfaces look like. <laughs> Spit aren't it out. Gonna, yeah, <laughs> aren't going to come up with very good stuff. You know, and in, I don't care, even if they're in America, even if they're native, if they, it's, it's, it's all about, there's a lot of a taste and there's a lot well, about. I, I've, I'll tell you a story. I mean, I, 
uh, when I worked for Reed Elsevier, I actually they to to make work cheaper. What they did was they had a thing where they outsourced to people from India, but they brought the people from India over to England. So mm. I'm I managed a team of four people from India, and um, you know even even when we were working together every day, the communication issues definitely definitely were a problem because you know once again just English English wasn't their native language, and um, I guess the main thing was that because we had a, such a sort of tenuous link of communication, they would just do what I said to the letter rather than actually think about the way that it might might impact other stuff that they'd done, other oh. bits of code that they've done. So they were just sort of doing stuff to the letter without putting the, their inspiration and their thought into it. And that made it quite difficult yeah, for me. Yeah, it's like having the computer write your code for you. Yeah, it just that doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. I, I think you need the, the developer and the best stuff, the, I think the best products that are developed by by people who it's either their idea or they're very involved in the development of the idea and they have opinions about it and they're thinking about it and they're arguing about it and they care about it. And that's where when you have these really great startups and these great new products that, that, that have come out, it's not like they outsourced and they just told some guy to do it and the guy delivered it. I mean, even Dig, that guy was involved about it and cared about it, had some of the equity. I mean, he, you know, was very much... I wonder much... at what point uh, Kevin decided that... That this guy that I'm outsourcing via uh, Elance is going to get three percent equity in Dig. Was it three percent? That was yeah, it. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I wonder what point. And uh, by the way, the guy you know didn't have uh, didn't didn't do deal with the dilution preferences correctly. So I think that he ended up with not as much as he was hoping for. I don't after. think it was dilution preference. I think it was liquidity. Oh, right? liquidity. I mean, sorry, liquidity. Yeah. That's it, sorry. Preference. But he was so. I think he, I think he said he was paid like twenty bucks an hour. What was the guy's name? Do you remember? No, I can't remember. It's a really interesting interview because he's paid like twenty bucks an hour. Which website which was, was it on again? Um, Mixergy. Mixergy, which is an, an, a great uh, a great website for interviews with with st uh, people related to startups. Yeah, no, it's good, and and that that was one of my favorite interviews just because it was such a like a inside story, you know. And um, the so I think he was paying him like twenty bucks an hour, yeah. and it was. You know, because there was a lot of myths going around that he had it built for like three grand. They just outsourced it, so it, it it's almost like as if it gives you the impression that he wrote up a, an impression that he wrote up a short description on Elance or something, and then a month later he got back this thing and it became a huge success. It's like no, he, he found this guy um, uh, on Elance, I think, um, and the guy was in Canada and they negotiated a price and they it was and he. He's paying him like twenty bucks an hour or something like that, and they were and it was they went over, they went over a period of months, and he was very involved in what he thought were good and bad ideas. Even though Kevin Rose is the primary driver of it, he, this other guy was definitely you know pushing back on things and offering up new ideas. And uh, I imagine probably what happened is, um, but you know maybe, maybe he says differently in the interview is that he probably twenty bucks an hour might have been lower than his normal rate, and he said, look, I'll you know I'll do it for less, but I'm a little piece or something. Maybe yeah. that was it. So you just do a search in Google for um, Mixergy Dig, and then you'll you'll come up. Th this interview and this video will come up top, and the guy's called Owen Byrne. Yeah, we. Um, you know the other thing. The other thing too is I think one of the problems with outsourcing is that I think that in other countries like India or China or wherever people are outsourcing, um, because writing outsourced software and doing things like that is such a great way probably to make a living. They can make a lot more money than they normally could. Right. So you have a lot of people going into the industry attempting to say, hey, I'm a software developer. It's kind of like it was in the U.S. in the late 90s where you had any, everybody coming out of college or you know was like, oh, hey, I read a book on Perl. I'm a web developer, right? And so you had all these people who were essentially software web developers who had been writing software for six months or three months or read a couple books or, you know, and, and essentially there was just crap everywhere. And it sort of, and it made it hard and there was so much noise. It was, you know, it was hard to determine who were the real professional developers and who were just these uh, sort of fakers. And when there's a lot of money that comes into a, a, a space like that, you get a lot of people kind of sucked into it. And I think that's, What's happened in uh, in India? You get a lot of people being attracted to this. Like, hey, we need more and more Java developers, and so you get all these people to take a Java course or something in India, and they're being, and the code's being outsourced to them. And it's like, you know, maybe they can write some stuff, but they're nowhere near the level of expertise and experience level of somebody who's been writing code for five or ten years. Who's that's what they do. That's what their profession is. Yeah. Well, funny you should say that. Um, if you read uh, Dick Dick Clark's biography, um, uh, he he basically talks about the fact that you know he's the guy behind Netscape and behind Silicon Graphics, and um, like most of the people who oh uh, uh, yeah is it, it was it Jim Clark sorry Jim oh, 
Isn't Dick he, Clark a, I'm, I'm isn't he a TV? <laughs> isn't he makes like game shows or something. Yeah, sorry, Jim Clark. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. God bless your brain. Um, yeah, the new new thing, right? That was yeah, the, in um, exactly the new new Michael thing. Lewis. Yeah, so I mean, they talk about in you know Netscape <laughs> that it was mainly built by Indians. <laughs> And if you walked into Netscape um, uh, head office, it smelled of curry. Yeah, well, I think what he said is, um, <laughs> I guess there were a couple of really sharp developers that yeah. he that he knew there, and they were they ha they happened to be Indian. And he, after he had left ne uh, Silicon Graphics, and Netscape was something I think he was just on the board of, and he was writing code because he yeah. had bought this really high, super powerful. You know, yacht that was you know like a giant robot or something. And oh, he that was is trying a great read. The new new thing, by the way. Anyone who wants to to check it out, it's really interesting. Sorry, it was it was just great. And so he's he's trying to learn how to write code because he was a physicist, I think, by training, okay. and uh, he he knew how to. He he originally created some of the original like um, graphics boards or something. But uh, anyway, he he was trying to learn how to write code to control his yacht and so he would kept coming into the netscape office and or maybe it was healthy on i because he'd started that but he would come he's like well how do i do this or how do i do that and these you know, a couple of the developers who were indian were like trying to help him out he's like yeah we need to get more of these guys they're great <laughs> yeah i know it's, it's not that look, so, it's, so that's, it's so that's, that's, i'm just i'm i'm juxtaposing your argument about the fact that you're saying that because it's lucrative that then a lot more people in that country are coming into it but india is famous for uh, bring, bringing out great IT people. I mean, they just have a great deal more than we do in the in the US. Okay, let me let me clarify here. Okay, it's not like I'm saying people in India can't write software anymore. That would be stupid. That's like saying people in New York can't write software. People in Texas or people in Belgium. It's just, that's, that's a dumb thing to say. It's not what I'm. Saying. So let's move on. I don't know how the hell we got onto this, but anyway, um, something else I saw that was rather cool was Etherpad.com. Um, yeah. Did you? That's, a, that's kind of where you can, you can kind of both people can be coding at the same time and different. Yeah, basically. Like, so you you basically go to etherpad.com. Um, you create a pad, which is just like a text uh, a text entry area, right. and um, you you then send the link, and you can both uh, work on it at the same time. What what really interested me about this, apart from anything else, is that it's six months old, and they've now got thirty thousand uniques uh, on really? com on compete.com, and I thought that's that's doing pretty well. You know? Yeah, they've been doing something like this for a while. I mean, Rightly was doing that, right? I don't know. Yeah, Rightly, you can both people can code at the same time, which is which is now Google Docs. I ah. think they were the first to do it. And I think that – who was the guy, Alex something, who created the um, – he, he was one of the founders or one of the primary people in Dojo, the Dojo Toolkit. Okay. He had some kind of um, – Thing they had done as uh, like an example of uh, using what the technology is, you know, they called Comet, which is that you know, leaving the connections open to the server in JavaScript, and it, and it, um, you can get real-time updates. Hmm. And I don't know if, if people are still calling it Comet these days, but um, that's that's the technology you use essentially if you're going to have real-time updates. So if you have two people editing the same document and they're in yeah. two places around the world, then you have to use. You can't be polling the server every second. That's not going to scale. Huh. Well, uh, okay. Well, what about Google? Google have you, have you looked at Comet? What about you, Google you, Wave uh, with its operational transformation technology? You know, I don't even know. I mean, here's here's what I would say. If if they that are, must be polling the server every, unless it's push. I mean, I have, once again, we don't know. We probably shouldn't talk about it because we don't know. Well, I mean, listen. I mean, if it's real time, right? Yeah. If it's if it's real time, then it's going to be Comet. It's not going to poll. It's going to be just like the um, chat within the uh, Gmail. The kind of real time chat. Okay. With, Without the browser polling, like if you open up your, you you know, Firebug or something, and you look at the HTTP code, um, you'll just see that there won't be. It, it most likely. So you mean have, it's a whole bunch of persistent connections then? Well, I think you can only have two per window unless you change the settings in in, in Firefox. No, I'm two. thinking about the server. No, like the the server can have, um, you know, so it would have a connection, a one connection for each um, chat window. So let's say we're doing, let's say we're talking about a chat application, okay? And um, they're, and you're gonna use the Comet technology. You're gonna have one, each each client is gonna have one Are you connection. saying Comet or Comet? Comet, like as an like as an, a meteor, meteor or? C-O-M-E-T. <laughs> That's right, Comet. Okay. And, it, so there's so there's one connection that's long lived, and then there's another connection that is say firing off. Like if I say hello and I hit return, it's going to send in a uh, it's going to open a connection, send it, and then and then that's going to close. And that's all done just a standard AJAX 
you know, post or get or whatever you want to do. But the other connection, the way you're receiving information is never closes. And there's a variety of methods you can do that. You can have a, 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 a hidden iframe. You can do, and it really depends on the browser. You can have a, a, the XHR um, object that's sitting behind the scenes that continually gets streaming information in. There's about four or five different ways to do it. And, and some work on some browsers. To, and, uh, and so it's a, re, it's a lot of really nasty code you got to write to get them all to work without having all kind of weird things happen with your browser. That sounds like it's incredibly server intensive. Well, it is. If you're using Apache, Apache won't scale very well. It's, it's, I think they initially sort of called it the 10K problem. Like how do you have 10,000 concurrent user yeah. connections at yeah. the time? And I think, I can't remember exactly, but I remember reading some stuff that Apache starts to croak at around like 100 or 200 or 300 concurrent connections. It just doesn't deal with it very well because yeah, each connection that. is a process, I guess. Yeah. Well, um, there are certain um, servers that, that deal with it uh, much better, I think. Um, and there are certain uh, like ones that are written, like Jetty and Java will do it very well. And I think there's some Python solutions. I think there's, there's, there's like a dozen um, different sort of custom servers that can do this very well. And I know the language Erlang, um, I can't remember what server is, but Erlang is sort of built for this, kind of like massively 30,000, 50,000 concurrent connections. They hmm. all stay open in real time. And so those things handle it really well, whereas like Apache or IIS or something are just, they're not going to do it. That's really interesting. Yeah, you could have like a World of Warcraft or you could have some massive video game if you're running it in your browser. And let's say you were doing all the graphics and and Canvas or something and you wanted to like have like a real-time game. You could do it. Um, you just have to write some, you know, JavaScript or use one of these JavaScript libraries to support Comet in the client and then have like some, you know, uh, Comet supporting server in an Erlang or Python or Jetty or something that'll do it. Well, that's interesting. I mean, uh, also, when I was looking at Etherpad, then I went hunting around for other stuff, and I came up with this other thing called redliner.com, uh, which is <clears throat> highlighted in microsoftstartupzone.com, which I didn't know existed. So Microsoft Startup Zone is uh, some sort of program that Microsoft have going on to help startups, and you can you can pitch to them, and it's a bit like the Y Combinator. Right. So the Redliner thing, what's interesting about that is it's collaborative, and it uses Silverlight. And it's got that horrible thing that I was talking about, which is um, it's so unresponsive as you type, you know. It's because mm -hmm. Silverlight to me, I mean, the, the experience was just the same as, as the Flash experience. And I, and I know that it's the Flash competitor, so that's sort of a stupid thing to say. Yeah. But it, this, this software just, it could do it. You know, I looked at redliner.com and I looked at it, but it just didn't seem great to me because it had that unresponsive aspect. You said it was built in Silverlight? Silverlight, yeah. Yeah, so, I think Silverlight's irrelevant. I think it's just it, it's not going to go anywhere because people don't want installing more crap on their computer, and all the people who are Mac and Linux people who hate Microsoft will never install it. And there's no point in rolling out a solution when there's 10 or 15 or 20 percent of the people are never going to do it just because they hate Microsoft. And then if you say, well, um, the early adopters, like what percentage of the early adopters who who would be you know, either building the code or the supporting code or using this. But, but hold, hold, why would anyone say, I'm never going to install Silverlight just because I hate Microsoft? I mean, that seems like the most immature attitude. Go on uh, dig or uh, slash dot or whatever, and that's the, that's the prevailing attitude. But that I doesn't guarantee. make sense. I mean, what happens if someone makes an amazing application and the it you know, it's in this technology? Why the hell do we care about applications and, and technology so much? I mean... It's the, it's, it's the ideas and, and the uses of them that's important, not what it's bloody written in. I don't know. I guess that's how people are. I mean, people. a lot of people have grudges about what they did to Netscape. A lot of people just can't stand Microsoft's type of software. I mean, you know, whatever. And there are people who hate Apple, I mean, you know. But the thing is, is that I don't – it's my bet, and I don't think – I mean, I, when it first came out, I mean, I just was like, this is not going anywhere because Flash is already there. And even if Flash is a pain to program and it's not really a programming environment – um, it's there, and it'll solve these problems, and you can hack your solution in it. I, I just think that in, that it's Silverlight's just not going to fly. I mean, Microsoft is because, trying to do something. Because Flash has market saturation. Well, let me ask you this. Is Flash going anywhere now that HTML5 basically deals with all the issues that Flash has dealt with in the past? I don't think I don't think um, Flash is going anywhere for quite a while because it's going to be a, a while before – HTML5 is like, you know, has 98 or 99% penetration like um, like Flash does because, you know, the uh, 
HTML5, even if all the browsers, even if Opera and Safari and Firefox and Chrome push ahead with HTML5 and they, they all kind of agree on a standard and they all kind of support it. And, you know, you're still only talking about 30 percent of the market or 20 percent of the market or even if even if even if Firefox and Chrome start to pick up market share and we say, well, let's just extrapolate and look in the future and say, OK, things go great for them and they own half the market. That's only half the market. Right, I and no I, one's. I don't no, understand no, why anyone uses Internet Explorer. It's such a pile of crap. It doesn't incredible. matter. It's because the people who don't care. I mean, you and I yeah. care because we build software. But the people who just like, hey, you know, I'm reserving a ticket. I'm finding out. Uh, I'm 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 reserving a ticket. I'm doing a bank transaction. I'm buying something on Amazon. I'm checking something on Hulu. They just don't care. It's just whatever. I, you know. I mean, and you know what? My my wife. I tell her. Only use Firefox. Don't use Internet Explorer because you will get infected. <laughs> and she says, okay, okay. But it still bloody opens it up because she, she got hooked into Hotmail, I guess, when Hotmail first started out. So that's her client. So when you yeah. use Hotmail, that integrates with Instant Messenger. When you click the Instant Messenger link, it opens up IE. When it opens up IE, she gets infected with the virus. Not my wife, right. but the computer. So I had to right. spend last weekend uh, you know, cleaning out the computer, which was a right pain in the ass. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you can make all kind of arguments why it sucks. The problem is it's not going anywhere. It doesn't go any, it's not going to go anywhere. I mean, the thing the only thing HTML5 is all is cool and all and I like I like some of the stuff they're talking about and I'd love to be able to do more advanced things without having to rely on Flash, but um it's just going to be a long time. You know, I think we're going to be relying on Flash to do sound, to do video for quite a long time. Did I That's mention just, um the Google Chrome experiments. Yeah, I know you haven't. I've no. looked at it though. Cool. Oh, okay. Uh, this is. I would totally recommend uh, people at home checking this out. ChromeExperiments.com. It's it's just interesting stuff, and it shows you what's going to happen. Basically, they've got a lot of applications that are HTML5 Chrome applications. Well, not Chrome, just HTML5 basically. And it's really interesting to see like a, a complete 3D rendering engine written in JavaScript. That works. Right. Yeah. That works quickly. You know. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really cool stuff. I mean, I think Chrome, the Chrome because the the Chrome um, engine called V8, their JavaScript engine. Yeah. And I can't remember like fifty to two hundred times faster than the previous, you know, the general JavaScript engines like an IE. I can't remember what the numbers were, but it was like a m massively faster. And then um, uh, Firefox's TraceMonkey engine. Have you heard of their TraceMonkey? Nope. Okay, so so okay, so now there's an arms race in the okay. uh, browsers, and the Firefox's is called TraceMonkey, and it's based on um, this uh, technology out of UC Irvine. I think it's called um, something about uh, Trace something. I can't, I can't remember. That's the technology. They do some tracing and finding out okay what path have you gone on optimizing it and doing some kind of compiling or something like that. Where V uh, V8, which I can't remember the guy's name. He's some guy. I think he's like out of Denmark or something, and uh, they. Um, they built V8 so that I think it precompiles the whole thing, um, and then uh, Safari. I see. Um, and their thing is called oh geez, what was it called? Um, uh, Spider Monkey, or <laughs> no, not Spider Monkey, Spider something. I can't remember what it's called. But they're now they supposedly jumped ahead. So first V8 came out, and then um, uh, or no, first I think the Trace Monkey came out for Firefox, and then they and then. V8 came up and jumped ahead, and then like Safari jumped ahead. So those three are just like, and, and all of them are like open sourcing their code. So they're all learning from each other and borrowing techniques. Is, so it's, is, it's it, all... um, is Chrome the one that's based on WebKit, and um, uh, then the Firefox is based on the other one? Is that the way it's no, working? No, Firefox is based on is the Trace Monkey, and I think Chrome is based on V8, right? They built their own. Um, WebKit is the one that. Uh, is that Safari? That, Safari. Now, I think now Chrome may use the WebKit for like the um, rendering, but not for the JavaScript engine. They built their I own see. JavaScript. Okay. okay. Maybe I don't know. People have to check that on their own. Yeah, just good. in fact, you know what? Just anyone listening to this, just go to trim forward slash TechZing two and um, tell us some of the facts that we don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I read I read a bunch of articles about this like a month ago, and I read like okay. five eight articles on like all these cool new engines and. Now it's all a little hazy because I haven't thought about it in a while, but it's super cool. And then, of course, poor little IE is just slow as a dog compared to these things. I mean, these things are like 
compiled like i mean v8 is compiles it like to machine code i mean so you're talking you can do things in there that you would never have considered doing um and so it really opens up uh, the uh the possibilities of like of new types of applications it's not just like oh i have an in-browser editor it's like what requires a huge amount of processing and and uh, there's all kind of things that can i think that ie is the bane of everyone's life i mean when i when i cut code for clients and i cut the css and html right mm-hmm. i'm i promise that it's going to be compatible in seven browsers and it's always IE that just hurts me every just time. Your ass every you know, time. I'm spending, you know, I'm spending all my time dealing with exceptions for that. Hey, talking about exceptions, what's your what's your viewpoint on um, CSS hacks and doing, for example, targeting IE6 with an underscore whatever? <laughs> do, yeah. you th- do you think that's absolutely hideous, horrific, the worst thing in the world, or do you think pragmatically that's something that's worth doing? <laughs> I do whatever I do whatever it takes to make this stuff work. I mean, yeah. as far as I'm concerned, it's like nobody cares, you know, if if my CSS has to have like special cases or I have different, including different CSS files or oh, the purists care. The purists care. Whatever, you know. I mean, the bottom line is the the your customers don't care. You know, the people using your site don't care. Whoever's paying for the site doesn't care. Nobody cares. It's just make it work. You know, yeah. I'm in the make it work business. <laughs> yeah, that oh. that would be the the Joel Spilsky train of thought, right? Yeah, you know, you want to make your code as, as slick and as attractive and as clean and as elegant as possible. But at the end of the day, you have to make it work. And if you have to do some, uh, you know, forking in code or, you know, or, or, or whatever you want to call it, you have three different types of ways of doing things you got to do it i mean because stuff works differently and and, because there are there are things that are broken in uh, safari that i you know things that happen in in ie things that happen and you have to put all these little fixes in there it's just okay why the hell doesn't all text line up with radio buttons exactly correctly in all browsers (laughs) (laughs) that is so annoying Well, then it would just make your life too easy, you know? It's like, I mean, I have to have exceptions for every browser to make that look right with certain fonts. Yeah, with standard fonts, it's fine. But if you try and become a little bit uh, esoteric with your font selection, you know, and you try and use one of the slight, you know, the fonts that's slightly out there, like MS Trebuchant, I can't remember what it's called. Trebuchet or something? Yeah. But, you know, that, then it doesn't line up correctly. It's, oh, God, it's annoying. <laughs> well, they didn't, yeah. I, I, I just assume nothing is ever going to line up or look good, and then it's going to take you really got a horse with it. <laughs> yeah. It's just, I mean, I'm, if, if anything looks good out of the box, it's just by mis- it's just luck. Everything, nothing ever lines up, man. I don't know. Yeah. All right, yeah. so what we got? What else we got? Um, well, I, I thought, uh, given that Do you like s- that, by the way, as I just keep saying, what, what's, what do we got? Yeah, that's like, great. Yeah, fine. <laughs> Yeah, what do we got? What do we got? Yeah, just just move oh, yeah. on. Just move on. Let's. Keep I mean, going at me. I think keep the last thing we want to do is to bore the shit out of everyone. <laughs> I don't want to bore anyone. Now yeah. you you keep throwing stuff out there, and I'll just keep any of these very one sided strong opinions that are just without any facts. Without. You know, where you just completely get facts. all your facts wrong. Just talk about it, and then that'll be that's great. Fine. Yeah, that's fine. I'd be perfect for uh, a pundit for on TV. Okay. <laughs> okay. So um, Google Google patent search, and probably lots of people know about this, but I didn't. And I just I just stumbled across it the other day, and I the thought patent like a patent. Yeah. Pa- oh, sorry, patent. <laughs> okay. I say potato, and you say potato. <laughs> okay. Let's go. So let's 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 talk about the patent search. Uh, I just thought it was cool. You know, you go to Google dot com slash patents, and I just noticed it in the labs, and I just thought. Because if you ever if you ever try searching the different uh, the different pat- patent sites out there, the, their engines are just so bad. Right. You know, if you go to the American patent site and try and use it, it's bloody difficult. Yeah, well, that's probably good. I mean, I th- that's how long, that's I th- that's been yeah, that's been a while. I think I'm hearing about that a long time ago. Uh-oh. I mean, the, the patent system is so screwed up. The, the board... <laughs> that was like the time that I said to. I mean, well, sorry. Yeah. What? Yeah. I mean, it's just. Uh, I mean, the system is just so screwed up and the more transparent you can make it probably the better you keep these bad patents from being issued but i don't know if that in itself will help anything but it's kind of neat we saw um we i was on uh, on the beach with my wife uh, a few weeks ago and, and these planes went by and and printed text in the sky and i was like that's incredible that's amazing and she's <laughs> and i said i've got i've got to tell jason about that on texting and she said oh yeah that's been around since 1953 yeah, you know what? Next time the world goes by, feel free to just stop on there, Justin. Yeah. <laughs> Skywriting. Yeah, that's that's tech for you right there. That's why people are going to listen to this podcast. Yeah. Because 
we, uh, we, we, we bring the latest in technology right to you. You don't have to go outside and look in the sky because we'll tell you about it. Okay. <laughs> hey, do you have anything to, to say? Well, you know, the thing I've been thinking a little bit about is, um, is uh, okay, so is, is the idea of context switching. So, for instance, if you're trying to do a startup on your own, you're, you're kind of bootstrapping, you're prototyping stuff, and either you're, you know, um, uh, working on consulting projects or you're even, I don't know, even at a full-time job and trying to to do, do this on the side. I mean, yeah. it's just so hard. I find it to context, which once I get into the mode, I'm working on one thing. I just have the hardest time switching. Even if a client needs something done the next day, I have to like force myself to like stop thinking about because you're in the zone. It is. And, and I have like, you know, three or four consulting contracts, you know, that I need to jump back and forth on. And I'm trying to uh, work on this stuff on my own, uh, of my own. And, um, I'm just, I don't know. I mean, how do you do it? I mean, can you actually say, okay, from 8 to 9.30, I'm going to work on this, and from 9.30 to 11, I'm going to work on that? Or how do, you, how do you even manage to force yourself to switch? I get up from the chair. I walk out onto the deck in hopefully a sunny day in L.A., and I just look out uh, over Glendale Valley. <laughs> Glendale de Janeiro, I call it. <laughs> so you're in Silver – I think you're telling me you're in Silver Lake. Yeah, and I just – I just sit there and I just begin to think about the new task at hand, the new problem, and just try and, um, I guess, uh, without wanting to sound too esoteric, get the vibe of it and get into the zone with it and then, you know, have a cup of tea and then just think about it a bit more and then I'll go and sit down and start working on it. So, that, so you actually so physically remove yourself from your desk and your computer and get yourself out and just try and force yourself to start thinking about it. Yeah, I, I basically, I guess for want of a better word, meditate a little bit about it. Okay, well… That's actually not a bad idea. You, you've, you know, one thing I've noticed that if, okay, let's say that I think, okay, tomorrow I have to really make some progress on, on, on some particular project, okay? If the, I notice that I am the most productive if the night before I get myself to start thinking about the problem, like I kind of go through it and I, and I just say, okay, what do I want to do? What, what does I really want to achieve? And I start thinking about the problem and I kind of have rolling it around in my head in the evening and in the night. And so by the time in the morning hits, I already know what I want to do. It's in your consciousness. Yeah. Or even so, yeah, it's just back that you, but if you, if you just walk up to the computer in the morning, you check your email, you sit down, take a sip of coffee and all of a sudden you're like, okay, so let's see, what do I got to do today? I mean, it can be really difficult. At least it's difficult for me to well, just start. Well, basically, your your brain is the horse, and the problem's the water. And you you know you can drink, you can bring a horse to water, but can you make it drink? So that's basically what's going on here. Yeah, that's hard. I you know it's really hard. The other the other thing is kind of interesting is so that's anyway that's just an ongoing challenge, just to force yourself. You know, because you get you start making progress on something. You know, you, you get on a project and you really start making progress. And you're in a zone. So are you and, saying you can just do it for you? The way that it works is one thing a day. Ideally, that is until I get, unless I get stuck or really bored on it, and then I can bored of it, then I can switch. You know, because it's so hard to force yourself. Because a lot of, at least for me, a lot of software development is just sort of um, based purely on inspiration or enthusiasm. And if I lose inspiration or enthusiasm, it's hard for me to work on it. Or if I have enthusiasm or inspiration for some other project, it's hard to just say I don't want to do that anymore because I'm too excited about it. I have too many ideas. I want to make things happen. And there's just this other annoying set of tasks that have to be done that I don't well, even think about. I, I, th I th that was I don't know whether we mentioned that last show, but we have discussed this before. I mean, I'm a great believer in exercising what you're inspired about first. So, like, I, I, when I say exercise, as in like exercising a ghost, like get it out of your system. You're inspired about it. You want to work on it. So just do a couple of hours on that. Get it out of your system, and then you can start moving into the the, the real work, the stuff that's bringing stuff the money in for you. Yeah, I think that's a good, that's a good way. That's a good way to think about it. Is sometimes because sometimes if you just do a little bit of work out, right, you just kind of you you get a little bit of it out of your system. I think that's right. But you know, another thing is context switching. So when you're doing a startup, you know, it's not just about writing code. I mean, you have to do design. You might have to do work about raising money or talking to investors or partners. Yeah. You have to do business development. You have to do all these other things. You have to set up bank accounts, which. I don't know about you, but I have a hard – if I'm in the zone and I'm coding or developing, I do not want to step up. I'm going to go out and make a bunch of phone calls and set up bank accounts and sign forms and go to the bank. I mean it's just like pulling teeth. But then if I, if I pull myself out of the mode of coding, I was like, all right, I'm just going to do all these annoying business tasks that I don't really want to take care of. Then I get into the business mode. So I'm, I'm the business guy and I'm talking to people and I'm doing stuff. And then I sit down and I can't code. It takes me days sometimes to get back. <laughs> I'm like, 
Like I'm just sitting there like an idiot looking at the screen going, I don't know. What was I even doing? I don't, I don't even know. No, I know what you mean. I need to call somebody and sign a form or something. <laughs> you know, I think it's just, I think it's one of the, the real challenges of, um, of being sort of in a startup because you have to wear more, more than one hat, obviously. And you, a lot of things have to get done, but problem with coding is it's not something you can just turn on and off well, like i think if, this would be a great thing to get feedback from from people listening to the podcast about you know yeah. like because i think you and i have our own perspectives about this but it would be great to get a lot of perspectives about this this context switching thing you know how to deal with this issue um yeah you so know just, one thing i want to yeah. one thing i want to bring up on that too is i just saw this um it's like one thing that made me think a little bit about this or at least thought to bring it up is this guy he has a website called messynotebook.com yeah. and um he uh he he wrote an article this guy wrote an article how to build something real in your spare time and he thought he brought up a couple things because i think um one of the things he says obvious which things are obvious but you know we're saying you know set goals so if you got something you want to do you have a startup or some project you want to work on you know, you need to set goals. You need to divide it into milestones. Make yourself accountable. And one of the things I thought was really good is really useful to think about is do something every day. So, and the reason I think that's important is, okay, let's say you have a you have this project you want to you want to do, and yeah. it's like okay, work on it. It's like a Saturday. You got some time on a Saturday or Sunday or one night after work. You come home and you're like, ah, I, you know, I'm going to work on this thing. And you work on it for three hours and you get all fired up. But then you don't work on it for four or five days because other stuff's going on. Well, the problem is. It's kind of like you, you, you lose the problem. It's not in your head anymore. You can't remember what you were working on. And then you lose you the just, inspiration. You lose the inspiration. And one thing I've noticed too is that when I'm working on projects, you kind of almost have to load the project into RAM in your own head. Like you have to get it all in your brain. You know, and that requires not just looking at the different source files, but kind of working your way through the code and thinking about getting in the flow of the code. And you're like, okay, okay, I know what I was doing. I know what needs to be done. I can see the whole thing. But in, But if you... Um, and I think the term he uses, which is kind of good, is spinning back up. So it takes – if you take a few days off, it takes more time to spin back up. Yeah. But if you do a little bit every day, even if it's like a half hour, you don't have to it, – you know, it's like shutting down a computer. Just leave your computer on all the time. You don't have to load everything back up. And it's always in your brain. You're always kind of thinking about it. You're always kind of solving problems. Because one thing I had read, which was kind of interesting to talk about, like – a lot of problem solving is done sort of in our subconscious. So at times when you can't really immediately think of a solution, you just walk away and you do something else, and the problem, yeah. the solution will kind of come to you. I, I mean, I dream about code. I, I wake up in the middle of the night and I'm like, oh, that's how, no, that's how to do it. Absolutely. I, a lot of times I'll be writing, like my, my wife's um, parents live in uh, Las Vegas, and so we, you know, if you, you know, whatever, once every couple of months or whatever, we'd, we'll drive from LA to Vegas, and we're in the middle of the highway driving in the middle of the desert with nothing to look at and i'll go i just solved the problem and she's like what problem is that oh, I'm, I'm coding in my head you know i'm solving oh problems you know she's like oh great <laughs> whatever <laughs> you know she's like uh you know by the way i got a problem to solve we need some gas to you know pull off at the next exit <laughs> but you know it's like yeah you, but if if you're if you're working on a project regularly then um you know you keep it in your head and you can um it's just there. You get your pro your brain is kind of working on it. But if you if you stop working on it for three or four or five days, I think it makes it harder to to keep up your progress. It's easier to forget about it, and it's also just not it's there. Your brain isn't working on it. Hmm. It's just kind of replaced by other stuff you're thinking about. I think that's that sounds very good. Yeah, um, I think we're we, we're coming to the end. We've done done an hour. Oh, okay. I think that's about it then. Um, right. <clears throat> we should probably say a few things like. Um, Texting, textinglive.com. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's, the, that's the actual domain. The that's the domain. You Texinglive.com. Uh, please, right. please subscribe to Texing on the iTunes. And uh, you have a uh, Twitter handle, right? There's the Texing. Oh yeah, we've got Twitter Texing, Twitter.com Texing. But you can also follow Jason on. Exo Jason. Exo Jason, come on. Exo Jason, sorry. <laughs> and um, uh, we're gonna have a we're gonna have an interview with uh, we're gonna have our first guest, not interview, our first guest. Yeah. Um, yeah. We, no, we don't we don't want to do interviews because that's too sort of I don't know. Normal. It, it's, it just doesn't flow the same way as a conversation with guests. Right. 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 And we're gonna have our first guest on, so we're gonna kind of introduce some. Uh, some new perspectives and people who know about other things. I mean, cause there's certain things that we know about certain things we don't know anything about. So, I mean, I'd like to talk to people who know a lot about, you know, Ruby or Python or Erlang or 
iPhone development or yeah. different types of startups or whatever. I mean, there's certain things that that are just be really cool to hear about that, you know, and there are people we can talk to who just know a, a ton about those things. The other thing we found out is that uh, the idea of doing this show once a week, it's just a bit too, you know, we're, we're being a bit impatient about it. We want to actually do two a week rather than one a week. So we're <laughs> thinking what we're probably going to do is one in the week where uh, just us talk and then one on the weekend where we bring a guest on. One thing we'd really appreciate is if you could tell two people about this show. I mean, if you think this show's good, uh, just tell two people and um, send them to techzinglive.com. All right, guys. So that's it. Okay. So that's a wrap. Over and out. (laughs) Oh, you know what we forgot to say? And I think we should say this and I'll cut this in. Um... In fact, maybe you could say it. Could you say, like, if you get a chance, please tell, um, please tell two friends about this show, um, and send them to textinglive.com. Get them to sign up on iTunes. Yeah. Okay. Um, Yeah. So, any help? uh, Anyone listening? Yeah, it's so tough when you when you've been told to say something is difficult. Yeah. I don't know. Um, I I I don't know. I can't say it. Uh, No. Say it. Say it. Yeah. Say, um, I'm trying to, th- I'm trying to, uh, phrase it. So you want, you want two people? Yeah. Just like, can you, you know, can you ask, do us a favor. You say t- it. No, saying. no, you say it. Just I'm not just... saying your words. I'm not saying it. You got to say it. Well, it's your words. Just, look, okay. Don't use my words. Use your words. But basically, Why do I have to say it? because the thing is, I've just said a whole bunch of stuff and I'm going to cut it in there. It's going to be like a monologue from me. If, All right. Uh, so I'm just trying to figure out how to say this. Um, I can't, I can't, I can't say it. I'm, 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 I'm kind of like writer's block. I got talker's block. I don't know how to say it. I can't say it just like as an insertion. It just doesn't work.